Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. In a season in which much of the world entertains spooky and scary stories, dresses as ghouls and ghosts, and welcomes fear and phantom, we embark on a journey into darkness and light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said that the light was good. And he separated the light from darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Many scholars believe that there may have been a pre-season of darkness on the earth before the biblical story of creation began. A gap, they say, between the first and second verse of Genesis chapter 1, between God creating the heaven and the earth and the earth then becoming formless and void and darkness covering over the surface of the earth. Almost as if it was a permanent night on the earth. But the earth wasn't empty during that season. There was a, a group of rebellious outcasts in the earth. Lucifer and one-third of the angelic army resided on the earth after being cast down out of heaven. And then the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. God had a dream, a perfect creation, a home, a habitation for his most prized possession, mankind. Made in his image and formed after his likeness, they were perfectly imperfect. Like God, but not God. And what was his image? A house, a family, Adam and Eve, a man and a woman designed to create human life. A creation so special, they had to have a perfect place to live. God wouldn't have it any other way. It was only fitting they receive a dream home, a tropical paradise full of everything they needed. The plan for them to enjoy the perfect life full of pleasure, peace, and purpose. They were the envy of the angels both good and evil angels. None of the angelic beings could comprehend why the Father loved them so much. They were so frail, so flawed. Who is man that God would be mindful of him, they said. Yes, mankind was the apple of his eye, the crown jewel of his creation, his prized possession made out of dirt, yet infused with God himself his blood, and his breath. But in this perfection, 
mankind had provoked the attention and the envy of God's arch enemy, Lucifer. Lucifer, the chief fallen angel, called the angel of light, the morning star. Once the pride of heaven, now full of himself, Lucifer was overcome with hatred, pride, obsession, and envy for God's throne. Having no shot at defeating God himself, Lucifer took aim at God's created image. In an attempt to hurt God the Father, he launched a plot to deceive and destroy God's perfect dream, the dream of God's family. In the midst of perfection, creation and light, darkness was still lurking. Sin was waiting in ambush. If only the enemy could lure them into temptation, into lust, into selfish ambition, then he could begin to twist and pervert God's perfect dream into something far more devious. Through deception, temptation, Lucifer tricked Eve and then Adam into this selfish ambition. And just like that, sin was born. As it is written, where there is envy and selfish ambition, all evil is already present. Sin separated man from God, driving a wedge between the perfect and his creation. With sin came a curse. Mankind, creation, and even Lucifer himself all received the curse. Paradise was lost. Peace was traded for torment. Joy for sorrow. And the pride of God's creation was marked with shame. The very first recorded story in human history marred God's house with shame and failure. Sin had entered the earth, and sin, when it is fully grown, results in death. Yet even in the curse, God made a promise. A plan for salvation, a hope was born. A curse had been released, yes, due to disobedience, but in the midst of the curse, God made a promise. I will redeem my family, my house, my dream. So God declared that through the seed of a woman, he would crush the serpent Lucifer's head. But the first story of her seed goes from bad to worse. In the second historical story recorded in God's house, the family of God continues down this new path outside paradise. This selfish ambition, coveting God's knowledge and power, evolves and sin grows. Two sons of Adam and Eve find themselves in conflict. Disobedient Cain becomes obsessively jealous over God's favor on his obedient younger brother Abel. God warns Cain, if you just do what's right, will you not be accepted? Look, Sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to own you, but you must master it. But in raw, jealous rage, Cain's selfish ambition manifests into the first murder ever recorded in human history. The house of God's first family is now haunted with the guilt of innocent bloodshed. When sin is fully grown, it results in death. The curse evolves beyond separation from paradise into being separated from God's favor and blessing altogether. And mankind slips into chaos and darkness. 
Just 10 generations later, God's historical family house has unfolded in death and violence and perversion and evil have permeated the whole of mankind. The wages of sin is death. And God's dream has become the devil's nightmare. Wickedness is so widespread and evil, so abundant that God seeks to wipe the slate clean and start over with the house of mankind. And so we come to the story of Noah. Three stories, three at-bats, so to speak, and three strikes for mankind. God is ready for a total reset. His plan? God would wipe the whole earth clean of the stain of perversion and sin and restart with one family again, one house, one dream. God went back to his original dream. In fact, the command that he gave Noah was the exact same command given to Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion in it. God's dream for his family and his house is that his house be a place of dominion, rule, and power. So God caused a great flood, the devastation of which was so great that he swore he would never do anything like that ever again. And he put a rainbow in the sky to mark that promise. We still see the sign of God's promise today. He started fresh with his original design, a family, a house, his dream. Noah and his sons began to reproduce. But once again, darkness would persist in the hearts of mankind. And humanity would spiral into cycles of chaos over and over again. Murder and violence, wickedness and deceit, abuse, rape, robbery, destruction, empires rose and fell, nations conquered nations, and entire peoples were enslaved. God's people suffered at the hands of one another in every era throughout human history, and in every empire, Persian, Greek, Roman, British, evil prevailed, and death and darkness were widespread. But salvation was born. God had hidden his promise of salvation inside of the story of his people. Just as he said, a child was born, the son of God, perfect, sinless, righteous. He would fulfill every prophecy ever told of the coming Savior, a mathematical impossibility. The God of the dream was making good on his promise. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ was revealed, and this faith would proceed to permeate almost every culture that would rise into global power and prominence for the next 2,000 years. As a result of Jesus, his teaching is truth. The dream of freedom would be given birth to, and new ideals would come to light. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But freedom, what a novel concept. Previous to the Savior, nearly everyone on earth was owned either by another man, a religion, or a crown. 75%, in fact, of the world's population in Jesus' day were enslaved. Freedom was unheard of. Only the elite could taste the slightest hint of liberty. 
than just a few hundred years ago, a land of hope and freedom became the buzz of the world. America. And the American dream was born. People from every continent began to flock to this ideal. Risking life and limb, they crossed land and seas to arrive on these shores. The longing for freedom to return to God's original design compelled them. Anyone who could manage to make it to this land could at some point in time, through suffering and toil, earn a slice of this American dream. Over the next couple hundred years, people from every nation, continent, and creed would venture to this land in hope of one day finding and tasting this thing called liberty. Asians and Africans, Islanders and Europeans would create a collage of humanity. This mosaic of people would fight for a taste of this American dream. Many of them fled from oppression and slavery just to find more oppression and slavery. Yet one day, sometimes generations later, no matter what color or place of origin, the opportunity to own a slice of this American dream would become a reality. After World War II, America hit its golden age. Families were on the rise. All types of people were having new and different opportunities. The dream of a home became the new normal. Little pink houses for you and me. White picket fences became a staple. Cities and suburbs exploded and home ownership multiplied. The secret to creating wealth in one generation was found in owning a home. Having a family, a good job, a couple kids, a dog. The picture of the idyllic family became widespread. Leave it to Beaver, the Brady Bunch, the Jeffersons. America was moving on up. Yet still in the midst of acquiring this American dream, darkness is ever-present. And the enemy always seeks to turn God's dream into a nightmare. So no matter how much you own, what you may be able to acquire, emptiness and void can still be present. Selfish ambition is still the original sin. And where it exists, all evil is already there. Sin still crouches at the door of your life. It seeks to own you. And the wages of sin are still paid in death. All throughout human history, God has had a dream for a home for his people. And Satan sought to turn that dream into a nightmare. He seeks to turn your home into a haunted house. A place where guilt, shame, regret, brokenness, divorce, loss, and abuse can rule. A place where your mistakes might haunt you. In fact, the enemy would love to not just turn God's dream into a nightmare. Or your home into a haunted house. He wants you to live a haunted life. Together. And I caught eyes with her. Who is that? <laughs> so, um, yeah, yeah, she took my breath away wanted to find a different direction in her life. Um, so she joined the army. And one day I was talking to her on the phone and I asked her to marry me. Um, but in our life, 
the timeline never stopped. It was always like, how do we get to the next step? Brand new, brand newly wed, new husband. And when we get to New York, I didn't have a job for four months. So um, I was looking for something, you know? So I did anything. The first job I settled on was I worked at Sears, you know, selling tools. And a guy I worked with, he left and started selling cars. And he said, hey, look, I'm selling cars. I think you'll be great at it. You should come out for an interview. So I said, okay. And I vowed to God to say, hey, look, if you let me marry this woman, I'll give her everything that she needs. I'm doing pretty well at work. I'm starting to get all the accolades. You know, worked my way up to a well over a six-figure income and we wanted to have kids. Um, it took us a while. It was hard for, uh, for us to get pregnant. Um, God answered our prayers and took about two years, but we got pregnant. 28, um, I got a beautiful wife. I got a baby girl, and I'm having a successful career. Um, what more can you ask for? I had it all. Uh, from the outside looking in, you know? And uh, now I had to maintain this image or the lifestyle that I built for myself. I had to work all the time. And I just started asking myself, why am I doing this? The first time that I contemplated on leaving the business is when my grandfather passed away. Hey, I called work and said, I gotta go. My, I don't know how much longer my grandfather's gonna live. A little while later, I get a text. And they told me, they said, hey, I know you're going through some stuff, but you can't be gone for that long. I took a plane ticket, I, I caught a flight. I flew back to Dallas when I made it back. No one said, sorry for your loss. No one cared. I, I was never home, and I was trying to numb the pain by self-medicating myself. It got really bad at one point. I couldn't stop. I literally wouldn't see my kids for three days, and we lived under the same roof. I just want to love on my wife. I just want to love on my kids and I can't, and I'm drinking. I'm drinking after work. I'm drinking during work. I'm drinking on the way home. And one night, I was on my way home, and I got in an accident. And I get out the car. Luckily, no one was hurt. I'm giving my insurance information, license, and a cop pulls up. He looks in the car and he sees the beer can. And he said, you been drinking tonight? I said, yeah, I had a couple beers. They're under arrest. They put me in an orange jumpsuit and they took me to the hospital to draw my blood. And they put me in shackles and paraded me around the hospital like I was a criminal. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not a criminal. What I thought the American dream was, you know, was 
being able to provide financially, you know, the cars and the job, the status, the house. But it ended up becoming a burden. You know, my house wasn't at home and it definitely ended up becoming a haunted house. I remember calling my wife and I said, hey, I'm in jail. And she said, I know. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. I love you. Ugh.
get out of jail the next day. And when I, I get home, um, you know, my wife's there, my mom's there, and you're waiting for me. And she said, God's been calling you for a long time. He's been reaching out to you. And one thing she said that stuck with me, she said, sometimes God does what you can't do. She also said, your daddy gonna talk to you. <laughs> I was like, oh Lord. So I mean, what you don't know, so my dad struggled from alcoholism as an adult. And I grew up around that as a kid. He said, I know what you're going through. You can make it through this. He told me his story and he said, I love you. I get home and this is the first time I fell to my knees and prayed. I haven't prayed on my knees in so long. If it's in your will, I'll go back to work, Lord, but if it's not, just please just take it away from me. And that's what he did that Tuesday. And it was uh, Oaks Business Network. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, I don't know what I'm gonna do now. I don't have anything to offer. You know, I talked to my brother-in-law. He said, you definitely should go. Doesn't matter, just show up. Pastor Joel, you know, he introduces himself. And he says, you know, my man Tremaine, he's, he's your leader at one of the biggest dealerships in Dallas. Um, and I'm sure you have some insight on what he wants to do to, to run that business or do something different. So I get up and I was like, I'm sorry, Pastor Joel. <laughs> um, I don't do that anymore. And he looked at me and he said, the first thing you're gonna get is some prayer. One thing I was sure about is that God was always there with me. He was just waiting on me. And one thing that stuck with me is I, I get to do homework. I haven't done homework the whole time she was in school. You know, I comb hair, I do edges, you know, I read bedtime stories and I love it, you know? I get to be there for everything. I don't miss a game, I don't miss a practice, and I get to be there for my wife when she's feeling anxious, and I get to pray with her when she needs me. My story isn't over, but my journey's beginning to walk into God's purpose and just just excited to see what he has for me thus far. I'm grateful for that uh, Tremaine would share that story with us. I can only imagine that it touched your heart the way it touched mine. And I can connect to that. I can relate to that. I can relate to that song that they sang in the middle. I know it's not a very churchy song and it's kind of poetic. It talks about God smoking a cigarette. That's what rock and roll bands do. It's not a churchy song, so hopefully you can move past that. But most of us have felt lost and insecure. 
And most of us have probably felt like, God, where, where were you? Where were you when my loved one died? Where were you when I was sick? Where were you when I was betrayed? Where were you when I was alone? I go back through my own story, through my own experience, and I remember times in my life where I felt alone, where I felt like I had to be my own defender, where I felt like I had to be my own protector, my own provider. Didn't work out very well. Times where I tried to play God myself because I felt like he'd let me down. When in reality, he had let me walk through things and endure things because the Bible says that the testing of your faith develops perseverance patience and the product of that testing produces something inside of you that's more precious than gold see the Bible declares that without faith it's impossible to please God for you must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek his righteousness that he is and that he is good I didn't realize that when I was shrunken down through disappointments, failure, and death, loss, when I felt like my faith was the smallest, the weakest, when I felt like God was the farthest, He was actually the nearest. Because He declares that He'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. I can relate to Tremaine's story. Because of some abuse and some things I went through at the hands of a cousin when I was a kid, I became a very angry teenager. And I began to self-medicate. Abusing alcohol. Sixteen years old. Left a party. Never even saw the cop. Almost ran him over. He takes one look at me. He knows exactly what the problem is. Asked me to get out of the car. Walk this line. Turn around. I fall down. I get handcuffed. I get thrown in the back of a car. I get driven downtown. I'm 16. I'll never forget the moment when my dad walked in the police station at 2 o'clock in the morning in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm throwing up in a trash can. I was so ashamed. My dad took one look at me and he opened his mouth to speak and he didn't say, he didn't say anything like what I thought he would say. I, I thought he would say how ashamed he was. I thought he would say how much of a disappointment I was. How I had embarrassed the family. I thought he would say all of these different things that I'd worked up in my head. 
But instead, my dad took one look at me and he said, I failed you as a father. My dad took all of the blame in that moment. He took all of my guilt in that moment. He took all of my shame in that moment. In that moment, I saw the Heavenly Father through my dad. The Heavenly Father that looked at mankind and said, I take the blame. The Heavenly Father looked at mankind and said, I'll take responsibility. The Heavenly Father that looked at mankind and said, I'll send my son. I'll pay the price. That's the love of God that I saw in my own father. And that love wrecked me. It wrecked me. It's the first time I can remember in my young adult life being aware and having a revelation of how much God loved me despite of my failures. And it was at that moment that I made a decision. I'm going to get my life right with God. And I began my journey of faith as a young man. It's been up and down. I've had lots of tough times. Been through lots of challenges. But God is faithful. And I'm telling you, you may be here today. Someone may have invited you. You may be here with a friend. You may have stumbled in here, don't even know exactly what's going on and never been in a service quite like this before, but I can tell you, if you're here in this room, you're here. If you're watching online right now, you're here right now. You're on this stream, this podcast for a reason. It's because God brought you here. God drew you here. He wanted an appointment with you. He wanted your attention. He wanted to find you. And no matter how far you may feel like you are away from him, he's right there with you. And he wants to draw you to him and he wants to embrace you and he wants to wipe away your tears and he wants to wash away your sins and he wants to invite you into his family today. And it just starts with one word. It starts with the word, yes. One of the easiest words to say. It puts a smile on your face almost every time you say it. Yes. Starts with saying yes to Jesus. Starts with saying yes to his lordship. With recognizing that you can't do it on your own. Recognizing that you've tried and you failed. And your own attempts at righteousness, your own attempts at being good enough, simply will never be good enough. You're a sinner that needs a savior. And that's okay. Because that's all of our stories. Not a single person in this room, not a single person that's a part of Oaks Church is perfect. Not a single one of us no longer needs our Savior. Not a single one of us could live a single day of our lives without the grace of God upon us. We're no better than anyone else. But He found us. He found us. We put our faith in Him. We put our trust in Him. And you can do that too. I'm going to ask you to pray with me just across this room. You, you may, be, uh, may be kicking the tires today. That's all right. And you know what? You may not be ready to pray this prayer. And guess what? That's okay too. But don't wait too long. 
because we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Don't wait too long. And please stay on the journey and please keep seeking because God will reveal himself to you and he will draw you. His grace is irresistible. Did you know it's not the judgment or the wrath of God? It's not the fear of God that brings people into repentance. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. It was the goodness of God that I saw in the love of my Father that draw me to repentance and changed my life forever. All across this room and with us online and on our podcast, you might be driving your car right now. Just pray this prayer with us. Say this. Say, Father, I need you. Can't do it on my own. I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins, for my shortcomings, for my selfish ambition, for my pride. Would you come into my life? I put my faith in Jesus, and I declare that he is my Lord, he's my Savior, I will live for him, I will obey him. And I ask you right now to fill me with your spirit and make me clean. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.